0: I will be reading Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 8 Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 8 and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you heard from me for John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not not many days from now so when they had when they had come together they asked him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel We've been for the last several uh, Sunday nights studying the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible have to say? That's That's our primary question. There are a lot of things that people say about the Holy Spirit, but listening to what the Bible says, that's really a critical discipline if we're going to be good students of God's Word. Tonight we're going to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit, what Kyle just read about in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Did you notice in that passage that Jesus made an an analogy? He said, John baptized with water. So the people would go down to the Jordan River and John would baptize them for the remission of their sins, according to Matthew and, and Mark and Luke. And then Jesus says, but you apostles shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a promise there that's being given by Jesus. And so the analogy is just as John baptized with water, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of different views about what Holy Spirit baptism is. Predominantly among our Pentecostal friends, and I don't want to misrepresent anybody, so let me just preface this by saying the Pentecostal movement, the Pentecostal denominations are very, very divided on many of the particulars of what I'm about to say. But by and large, if you read their works and if you read their scholarship, they argue that someone needs to be baptized in water as the Lord commanded. Those denominations would teach that is true. But then, after you're baptized in water and you're saved, then as a believer, you ought to seek Holy Spirit baptism so that you can receive miraculous charismatic gifts. And one of the reasons why they speak in tongues is because they believe that they have received, they call it a second work of grace. Again, not everybody within that denomination or those group of denominations would say that, but many would. That after you become a Christian by water baptism that you ought to seek Holy Spirit baptism, which is a second work of grace in your life and God will confer on you miraculous charismatic gifts. You'll be able to do things like speak in tongues and heal the sick maybe, things like that. All of that sounds exciting. Our question again is, what does the Bible say about this subject? What does the Bible teach about Holy Spirit baptism? If you didn't get a handout on the way in this evening, I might mention that the handouts have much of this information on them already. I did that so that you wouldn't get writer's cramp. Because again, some of the things we're talking about tonight, I'm going to go a little bit quickly. All right. But as we think about Holy Spirit baptism, I want you to know, first of all, that there are just six New Testament passages that clearly mention Holy Spirit baptism. Only six. Here they are. Matthew 3, 11 and 12. John the Baptist talks about Holy Spirit baptism. Mark 1 verse 8, parallel account to that. And in Luke three verse sixteen, parallel account to that. So all three of those passages, John the Baptist prophesies, "I baptize you with water," he says, "but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit when the Messiah comes, when Jesus comes, the one whose sandals I'm not worthy to loose." Those are prophecies. John one thirty three, John tells it a little bit differently. We studied that particular verse a few weeks back, but John says. I'm not, I'm not qualified to baptize anyone with the Holy Spirit, but the one upon whom I saw the Holy Spirit descend, he is the one who will do that. It's Jesus who's going to perform this Holy Spirit baptism. And so in prophecy, John the baptizer is telling his disciples, he's telling us in scripture, someone's going to perform this Holy Spirit baptism at some point. And then we get to the passage that Kyle read just a moment ago, Acts 1 verses 4 through 8. More about that in just a moment, but even Jesus prophesies that Holy Spirit baptism is going to occur. And then finally, talking about the passages that specifically mention Holy Spirit baptism, the last time we see it mentioned anywhere in Scripture specifically is Acts 11 verses 15 through 17, when Peter is talking about what happened to Cornelius and his family at their conversion. More about that in just a moment. Those are the only six verses anywhere in your Bible that specifically mention Holy Spirit baptism, being baptized with the Spirit. Now, with those six passages in mind, it would be good for all of us to just take, a, take some time and read those and study them. What I want to do tonight is this. I just want to talk about how in the first place, Holy Spirit baptism is a promise, not a commandment. It's a promise, not a commandment. If you could just latch on to that idea, if you could just latch on to that one truth about Holy Spirit baptism, that would help all of us out of a lot of conundrums, a lot of difficulties. It is something that was promised to people. It's not something that was commanded for people to do. God never said You should be baptized with water, and then you need to go seek out Holy Spirit baptism. God never says that. He says, here's a promise for you. Again, here's what John the baptizer says. Listen to him. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, that's Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It's a promise it's not a commandment. John is saying, come to me, listen to my message, and I'll baptize you in water. But when Jesus comes, there's a promise here. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Jesus is speaking to his apostles. This is after the resurrection. This is before the ascension. That happens in Acts 1 verses 9 through 11. And listen to what Jesus tells his apostles. They're all gathered together and he's talking to them. And while staying with them, it says in Acts 1 verse 4, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for, what does the verse say? Wait for the promise of the father. You see it? It's a promise, not a commandment. Wait for the promise of the father, which he said you heard about already. For John baptized with water, there's the analogy, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking to his apostles. He's telling them to wait for the promise of the Father. And he's saying that they'll know that the promise of the Father has arrived when Holy Spirit baptism arrives. And it's going to happen pretty quickly, not many days from now. So stay in Jerusalem, apostles. Stay until this happens. It's a promise. Then in the very same passage in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus finishes that statement by saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts or the end of the earth. And many have observed that that is an outline for the book of Acts, because when you read Acts, the gospel goes forth from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, Acts chapter 8, and into the uttermost parts of the earth, Acts chapter 13 and following. The gospel goes throughout all the world, and that's an outline for the book of Acts. But for our purposes, notice, Jesus is saying, wait for the promise. The promise is going to come to you when the Holy Spirit comes, when the power comes. So if you're just kind of lining these things up, not many days from now, if you're waiting in Jerusalem, there is going to be power that arrives. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And that is going to be, according to Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, what John talked about and prophesied When he was baptizing with water, he said, someone else is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When those things happen, not many days from now, you'll know Holy Spirit baptism is taking place. So when we read scripture, is there evidence that the promise that Jesus makes, that the promise that John gave came true? Is there evidence that this has happened? Again, remember, Jesus says, not many days from now. Is there evidence? And the answer is yes. Holy Spirit baptism happened that we know of two times in history. Two specific times. And the reason we know it happened these two specific times is because of the verses that we just looked at. And then the verse we'll look at in Acts chapter 11 in just a moment. Let's talk about the first occasion. If you got your Bibles, you can open them up to Acts chapter 2. And I just want you to kind of look through the passage with me. Acts chapter 2 is the first occasion where Holy Spirit baptism takes place. You remember what Jesus says in Acts 1 verses 4 through 8. He says, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you because this is what John talked about and this is what's going to happen. The promise of the Father In Acts 2 verse 1, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now, that's not many days after the crucifixion. Pentecost was just about 50 days after Passover when Jesus was crucified. And so 50 days, seven weeks plus a day later, they were all together, the apostles were in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. That'd be strange, A sound like a rushing wind, but not a wind, just the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Think about that. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And not only that, but divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's all we have as far as information, but it's interesting to think about, did the the divided tongues of fire just kind of come in through the door? It says they appeared to them and then the tongues came to rest upon each of them. And by the way, those tongues, I don't believe, left the apostles throughout that day. This was a miraculous sign. This was power that was coming upon these men. And then the Bible goes on to say they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you've got three miraculous evidences that what Jesus promised is coming true now. They're in Jerusalem, they're in the right place. It's the right time, not many days from when Jesus made that promise. And you've got these evidences. You've got the sound of the mighty rushing wind. You've got the evidence of the fire that looks like it's it's landed on their heads. And then you've got the speaking in tongues. Speaking in languages that they've never studied incidentally that's a that's an interesting study all on its own but the phenomenon of speaking in tongues is always in scripture speaking in known languages in our house we like apps like duolingo you know that you can learn another language and you can gain vocabulary and things like that but it is a lot of work to learn a different language isn't it You've got to study for years and you've got to be willing to do this. You've got to be willing to talk to somebody in their language and you have to be able to, to know I'm going to make a bunch of mistakes. I'm going to say things that I think are the right thing, but I'm going to use the wrong word. People are going to laugh at me. You've got to be willing to do all that to learn a different language. You have to be willing to do that. These guys didn't have to do any of that. All of a sudden, they're gathered together in a room. They hear a sound. They see the fire. And boom, they're able to speak in Whatever language God needs them to speak in, Babylonian, Latin, doesn't matter. They can speak in those languages because the Spirit has come upon them. This is the first occasion where Holy Spirit baptism takes place. How do you know, John? I know because of what I read in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Jesus said, it's going to happen not many days when the power comes upon you from the Holy Spirit. And if you go on and look in this chapter, in Acts chapter 2, look at verses 16 through 18. The people are wondering, they see these apostles, and again, in my mind's eye, these 12 men go into the temple, and it looks like their heads are on fire, kind of like Moses with the burning bush, except these guys have tongues of fire on their heads. They go into the temple And they start to speak in tongues and the people are listening to this and they think they're drunk. They're, you know, they're, they're, what is, what does this mean? And Peter says, we're not drunk. It's not yet the third hour. He says in Acts 2.16, this, the tongues and the, the tongues of fire and the tongues that we're speaking in, this is what Joel talked about. At Joel, he starts quoting from Joel 2 verse 28. He says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter says, that's what this is. Your young sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and he's not done yet. He's saying this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is one evidence that this prophecy is coming true. In Acts 2.33 as he continues his sermon, have you ever stopped and just kind of looked at the details of this particular sermon? We rush to Acts 2.38 because it's so important. What must we do? But think about the the particulars of what's being said here. Jesus, where is He? I mean, if He's alive, if He's back from the dead, why isn't He here in the temple preaching? And what Peter does with this sermon is say, the reason He's not here in the temple preaching is because He has been exalted to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father, watch this, the promise of the Holy Spirit, so If you're following Peter's logic, he says, Jesus ascended, we saw him go. He's at the right hand of his Father, and his Father has given him the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus then took the Holy Spirit and poured out this which you now are seeing and hearing. So what's Peter arguing on the day of Pentecost? He's arguing that the promise that Jesus spoke about in Acts 1 verses 4 and 5 has been fulfilled. It's coming true. It came true on the day of Pentecost. And what happened on the day of Pentecost was that people heard the gospel for the very first time, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with its implications for your life. And about 3,000 were added on that day. But do you know what? They were only Jews. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there was not a Gentile to be found in the audience. There was not a Gentile that was baptized on that day. It was not until years later, years Christianity early on was exclusively reserved for the Jews. In fact, it caused a little bit of a, of, a, of a commotion when they started preaching to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and they were wondering, well, what should we do? But since Jesus had sent disciples two by two to the Samaritans, and Jesus had talked to that Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, and, and experiences like that, okay, we can baptize Samaritans, but to baptize a Gentile, we're not going to do that. Years later, you have the second occasion of Holy Spirit baptism. So again, what happens on Acts chapter 2? Power comes, tongue speaking, and all of a sudden, it's okay for people to repent and be baptized. Now, on the second occasion, we have Peter being told to go to the household of a man named Cornelius. And turn over in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts 10. Look at verses 44 and following. You can follow along with me in Scripture. Acts 10, verses 44 and following. Cornelius is unique because he is the very first Gentile who ever became a Christian. The Bible tells you that. And it was such a stupendous, momentous moment that it took a bunch of miracles for God to even convince the preacher, Peter, to go and talk to Cornelius. God had to give the vision to Peter. Remember the the sheet coming down from heaven with all the unclean things? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. And then finally, God has to tell Peter, somebody's knocking on the door downstairs. You need to go and answer the door and go with those men. And then finally, Cornelius is seeing a vision of angels and an angel comes and tells him to to send for Peter. And it takes all these miracles because God wants this Jew and this Gentile to come together and he wants the Jew to preach the gospel to the Gentile. And even when Peter comes, look at Acts chapter 10. I've said this before, but this has to have been the most awkward Bible study in all of history. Because, you know, if, if you get the opportunity to study the Bible with somebody, you're going to sit down and you're going to be polite, right? You want this to go well. You want people to receive the message. Listen to how Peter um, starts this, this particular study. Um, the Bible says that uh, in verse 28, in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, you know, Peter says, how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I mean, think about starting your Bible that way, Bible study that way. Shouldn't call you unclean or common. I've never done this before and it's unlawful for me to do this, but God's shown me, I guess I can. And Peter's kind of like Jonah. He's like a reluctant preacher, but he's gonna do what God wants him to do. And so Peter sits down with Cornelius and his household and he begins to speak to Cornelius and the Bible says in Acts 10 verse 44, watch this, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Who's hearing the word in Acts 10 44? It is the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household. And then notice what it goes on to say. It says, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Who are those people? It specifies that they were among the circumcised. They were the Jews who had come with Peter. Peter had a traveling cohort, fellow Jewish Christians And they were amazed. And what amazed them was that as Peter had started this sermon, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell on all those who were hearing the word. And the people who were with Peter observed that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, it says. And it goes on to say, for they were hearing them, watch this, speaking in tongues and extolling God. So, Before Cornelius, write this down in your notes before Cornelius ever became a Christian, before he ever became a Christian, he was able to speak in tongues. How do you know that's true, John? Because that's what the Bible's telling us. He had just begun to hear the gospel message. He didn't know that he needed to repent and be baptized, he didn't know that he needed to confess Jesus Christ. He just had begun to hear the gospel message and the Holy Spirit fell upon him before he became a Christian and he spoke in tongues and so did those who were with him in his household. And the Jews were just amazed. And as they looked at each other, Peter, the great apostle, kind of looks around and here's the question he asks to all of his Jewish Christian brethren. He says... Can anybody forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? What's the Bible telling us? It's telling us that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit baptism happened to Cornelius before he became a Christian. And that was the sign to Peter and the Jews that it was okay with God for them to baptize Cornelius and his household, you follow the logic? The Spirit was poured out on Cornelius, he spoke in tongues, and that was specifically to convince Peter that it was the right thing to do to baptize Cornelius. Okay, John, but that seems kind of speculative. I mean, you've you've drawn some things out there that I'm not really sure the text supports. Guess what? We don't have just Acts chapter 10, we have Acts chapter 11, thank God, in our Bibles. Acts chapter 11 is the instant replay. Kind of like when the player on the football field almost gets in for a touchdown, we're gonna stop and we're gonna slow this down and we're gonna look at the camera and make sure that what we think we saw is really what we saw. And Acts chapter 11 does just that. Look at verses 15 through 17. They asked Peter, why did you baptize a Gentile? What madness led you to believe that baptizing Cornelius was the right thing to do? Christianity has always been a Jewish thing. Only the Jews were eligible to become Christians. And Peter says, he says, I went to Cornelius' house because God told me to in many different ways. And Cornelius, when I began to speak to him, again, notice in Acts eleven fifteen, as I began to speak, he had not even shared this message. He had just begun to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Who's he talking about there? The Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius just like he fell upon us, the apostles, at the beginning, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That's what he's saying in Acts eleven fifteen. And then Peter says, watch this, I remembered the word of the Lord. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There is your last reference in scripture to Holy Spirit baptism. And it happens when Peter is recounting the reasons why he baptized the Gentile Cornelius. I remembered. I remembered what John the Baptist said, and I remembered what Jesus promised. And then here's his logic. He says, If God gave them the same gift that he gave to us, the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? The question on the table, brethren, is, is it okay to baptize a Gentile? And Peter's logic and his argument is, when I started to preach to them, the Spirit fell upon them and they spoke in tongues, Acts chapter 10 tells us. And because I saw that happening, who was I that I could stand in God's way and say, no, we shouldn't baptize Cornelius. The Spirit fell upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost to show that Jews were eligible to enter the kingdom of God. The Spirit fell upon Cornelius and his household in Acts 10 and 11 to show that Gentiles were eligible to enter the kingdom of God. But watch this, Holy Spirit baptism did not save anybody. It was not for salvation. It was not to make a person a Christian. It was to show that God had opened the doors of his kingdom to certain groups of people. And by the way, once you open the doors to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, who else is left? The Jews and the Gentiles, that encompasses everybody that lives in this world. The gospel is for all. It's open and available to all. A comparison. Holy Spirit baptism and water baptism. Compare and contrast. Holy Spirit baptism, the element for baptism is the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed. But in water baptism, the element is water. There's a difference. In Holy Spirit baptism, the administrator is Jesus Christ. You cannot escape that truth. There is nobody else who can perform Holy Spirit baptism but Jesus himself. Even John said, I baptize with water, but he who comes after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Remember? Remember Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.33? He, having ascended the right hand of the Father, has poured out this which you now see and hear. Only Jesus can do this. Holy Spirit baptism. But anybody can do water baptism. Disciples, I could baptize you. One of the deacons, one of the elders could baptize you with water tonight. That'd be a wonderful decision for you to make if you're not a Christian, to be baptized in water because that's when you become a Christian. That's when you receive the remission of sins. Any disciple can do that, but only Jesus can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit baptism, as we've noted, is a promise. Luke 24, verse 48. Water baptism for the remission of sins is a commandment. It's different. Water baptism is a commandment. Acts 2.38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, incidentally, I'm not going to be speaking the next couple of Sunday nights, scheduling things, but next time I speak on a Sunday night, we're actually going to talk about what is the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.38. That ought to be fun. All right. As we think about God's word though, water baptism is commanded. Holy Spirit baptism never is. The purpose of Holy Spirit baptism, as we've noted, is to reveal and to confirm what does it reveal? What does it confirm? It confirms that just this Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And we are all witnesses of this. Peter says in Acts 2.36, Jews are eligible to enter the kingdom. And it's to confirm for the Jews who are reluctant that they ought to baptize Gentiles as well. And we've talked before about the sea change that that caused in the world to say nothing of the church, because now for the first time in history, because of Holy Spirit baptism and the confirmation and the revelation that God gave, now a Jewish man can marry a Gentile woman. They're both Christians. They've both obeyed the gospel, and that's okay. The old law has been nailed to the cross. The new law has been brought into effect. And little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls can play with little Jewish or Gentile boys and little Gentile girls. They can go out on the playground and they can play together. That's never happened before since the law of Moses came into effect. But now it can because of what God has done in Christ. Holy Spirit baptism reveals that truth, confirms that truth. Water baptism, on the other hand, is for forgiveness. That's when you receive forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. That's when you become a member of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, Acts 2.47. Holy Spirit, baptism is involuntary, incidentally. It is not something, in contrast to what our Pentecostal friends would argue, it is not something that you should or can seek after. You should not pray for God to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It is involuntary. Jesus just told his apostles, wait. Wait. I just want you to wait. Not many days from now, you're going to receive power. He didn't even promise that as far as we know to Cornelius. He just told Cornelius to call Peter. And when Peter came to Cornelius' house, involuntarily, the Spirit was poured out on Cornelius and his household. They spoke in tongues. Involuntary. But water baptism is voluntary. It must be. I can't force you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Your parents can't force you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It's got to be your decision. It's got to be your choice, Acts ten forty seven. Who can forbid water that these might also be baptized just as we were, Acts 10, verse 47. There are only two occurrences that we know of, of Holy Spirit baptism anywhere in history. And they are the two we've talked about, the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and the conversion of Cornelius, Acts 10 and 11. Those are the only two times when Holy Spirit baptism is specifically brought out in Scripture. But there are millions of people who have turned their lives to Jesus Christ and been baptized for the remission of their sins because they wanted to become New Testament Christians and they wanted to follow Jesus Christ as his disciples, go into all the world and baptize, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission water baptism, not Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit baptism, as we close, it is predicted in the Gospel accounts, it is promised by Jesus, and it is very clear on just two occasions. That's what we know about it predicted, promised, and it happens very clearly in Acts 2 and in Acts 10 and 11. That's important. As you think about what God has done, I know this has been maybe a little bit of an academic type of lesson, but I want you to stop and just think. God has to tell us, who is it okay to baptize? God's the one who has to tell us Because God's the one that designed baptism. God's the one that designed salvation. God's the one that made it possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. God's the one that did all of that. And because God is the author of salvation, the one who designed it, Holy Spirit baptism is the way in which God points out to the world, it's okay for you to baptize this man. This woman who's very different from you, who speaks a different language from you. It's okay because I love all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, and I want all people to come to me. And I'm really glad that Peter had such a hard time with this because do people still have trouble with those kinds of issues today? That person's different than me. That person doesn't think like me. They're not from the same culture that I'm from. Do we ever have issues like that today? Absolutely we do. But if an inspired apostle had to see a miracle to know that it was okay with him for him to baptize that Gentile, maybe that tells us that we ought to be more gracious and kind toward one another and forgiving toward one another when we start thinking about who needs to be saved and how can we reach across cultural boundaries in order to reach people that are different than us. Holy Spirit baptism centers on those kinds of things. I'm thankful that God did what he did in the book of Acts. And I'm thankful that we can know what we know about who is welcome to come to God. And I want you to know tonight, if you're not a Christian, God has opened the doors wide for you. He is waiting for you to come home to him. He wants you more than anything else to be baptized for the remission of your sins in water so that you can have the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ in your life. God wants that more than anything for you. If you're ready to make that decision this evening, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while we stand and sing.